Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, welcome to the 400th episode just shoot it a podcast about filmmaking screenwriting and directing this episode is brought to you by patron mike slane i'm matt enlow and i'm warren kaplan and yeah like matt said we are on episode 400 crazy that we got here can you guess right now how many episodes we'll do in our lifetime i wouldn't wager a, a prediction a better question is like what would it take to get us to stop I've noticed that on script notes recently, Craig Mazin hasn't has skipped a bunch of episodes, and I'm assuming it's because he's making super a, busy. Yeah, a TV show or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess that's I think what would make us stop if mm-hmm. we were both like literally in another country for two years working on a huge project or something. I mean, speaking of script notes, John did move to France for a year, and he kept doing the podcast. He kept doing the podcast. Yeah, 400 episodes deep. You know, I think like we're always looking for ways to help challenge ourselves. You know, like it's pretty special to get to like talk about the thing you love so much once a week, guaranteed. We don't, you know, people don't have that very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. If it didn't feel like anyone was listening, it would be hard. And also, frankly, thanks to your listens, we've been able to get some really incredible guests. So thanks for sticking around, everyone. More live shows to come. More cool guests, more introspective navel-gazing from uh, yours truly. You know, we've learned a lot over 400 episodes. Not only have we learned from our guests, we've also learned from our own trial and error as directors, filmmakers, writers, producers. We wanted to share some of the things that we've changed our mind on. Or doubled down on. We'll see how it unfolds. We've made a list of some things to bring up. But before that, I'd love to hear, Matt. What have you been working on lately? Yeah, thanks. We're recording this November 26th, a couple days before the episode releases. So the end of the year is within sight. And I've got a lot of big plans uh, for this next year and then years beyond. And I've talked about it on the show many times. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about on um on our year in review uh, panel episode coming up. We always do that right around New Year's, give or take a week. Uh, talk about my goals. I'm big on setting goals. And there's this guy I've been following on TikTok. He sells a calendar that he calls the Big Ass Calendar. Do you, have you seen this guy? No. He's kind of like a like a, a energetic guy in his mid-50s who's just like, hey, listen, I'm getting up there. I want to have an incredible year. I'm a really organized guy. This is how I do it. And basically, he's made the same video over and over again, but I think it really resonates with me. His point is like, look, if you don't plan to have an awesome year, don't plan to hit your goals, you're not gonna. And uh, so he has a big calendar and he like 
puts all of the different marathons that he wants to run and the big trips that he wants to take and all of that stuff. And his point is like, work will fill in the gaps. He doesn't need to plan for work. He needs to plan to adventure, to to make time for his family, for the the big monumental thing. Uh, I agree with all of that. I'm not going to go out and run a marathon, but like it does force you to ask yourself like, oh, what would be the things that I wanted to do in a year to make it truly awesome? to make it really special and memorable and, and, you know, make life worth living and all that stuff. And part of that being a, uh, you know, an artist means that you have to kind of plan your slate, your projects out a little bit. And I know I've talked about this a lot on the show and have felt a little unmoored these last few years, frankly, like a lot of big life changes, the pandemic, uh, weird stuff with the industry, the strike, everything's feeling, had felt really crazy. And I feel like things are kind of finally back under our feet a little bit. Industry-wise, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, all of that stuff. I started looking at my 2024, and I realized that the trick to all of this is to look at those big lofty goals and just figure out how do you how do you slice that up into something tangible you know how do you say okay well i want to make a movie how do you how do you make that a reality right so we're at to talent currently on your feature on my feature yeah as a, as a for instance um oh i want to move i want to do the, all of these things like how many jobs is that how many jobs do I need to think about booking in the next calendar year in order to hit financial goals, for instance? You can say, oh, I want to make X number of dollars in a year, or I need to make X more dollars in a year, or whatever it is. But if you say, okay, based off of my day rate and my how many months there are in a year, how many years, months I plan on working, how many tangible jobs do I really need? Is that realistic? Is that feasible? I could say, oh, I want to make a million dollars next year. You know, it's probably not going to happen, right? But if you do the math and it's very simple, I think you can start like having realistic, but but still very ambitious goals that you have a shot at, at achieving, at attaining, basically. So you're saying do the math. Do the math. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, and then it made me feel really better, well, a lot better, frankly, because I think, you know, there's a couple different ways that I could hit my financial goals next year. Um, but if you say, oh, I want to make a quarter million next year, as a for instance, it's a lot of money, right? But how many jobs is that? How many jobs a month is that? Can you hit that or not? Is a much easier pill to swallow, goal to hit that's actionable, right? Like you, our conversation with Tom Morris is an easy example of like, how many seeds do you need to plant in general to book, say, two jobs a month versus eight jobs a month? Eight jobs a month, probably not going to happen realistically, right? So that's, that's really what I'm trying to say is like, I feel better knowing that the goals that I'm setting for myself are feasible if not ambitious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit. There's an actor I follow on Instagram that I work with. She's very talented and she works a ton. She's always posting like screenshots from her phone of texts Mm -hmm. she gets from her agents. Hey, 
booked it. You're on a veil, mm-hmm. pinned, uh, you know. And I sent her a message on Instagram. I was like, geez, how many jobs do you book a month? You're just like booking nonstop. And she wrote, she's like, I try to, I aim for four jobs a month. Mm-hmm. And she's an actor, right? So it's different, obviously, than a filmmaker. But I was like, what do you mean aim for four? Why don't you aim for 20 jobs? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what do you mean you can't aim for these jobs? It's like, I play the lottery and I aim to win this many times. I mean, I guess maybe that's a, a more mm-hmm. <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a more predicting predictable thing. But like as as a freelancer, you just you don't know. Some months it's like everyone wants to work with you and other months nobody wants to work with you. There's a difference between setting a, a goal that's crazy town. If Oren, I was like, hey, Oren, I'm going to make $100 million next year. And I was like, well, it's going to be on um, directing alone. That's how I'm going to make that $100 million. You could be like, okay, well, let me do a little bit of math. If you booked a job every single day of the year, your day rate would have to be, what is that? Yeah, 30 grand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sorry, $100 million? $100 million. Oh, like $3 million, yeah. Right, so um, sorry, three hundred thousand. Is that realistic then? No, but it's realistic to make a million dollars, and it's also realistic to make ten thousand. <laughs> like, sure, like sure. the range what, is still big, just because you came out with some ridiculous. But what number. do you have to do? What do you have to do to make a million dollars? Right, I'm not saying that I'm gonna hit this for sure, but like knowing what you would need to do knowing what your batting average is, how many jobs you typically have to pitch on in order to, to book one, right? Who, what, what the rate is, who's pitching, all of that stuff is part of it, right? So it's easy to be, just be like, well, I just want to make as much money as I possibly can. But that's nebulous, right? Like, of course that's true. And, and we're not just talking about money. I'm talking about all sorts of other things. I'm, you know, I need to write another movie. I need to make a movie. Like, there's a lot of other life goals that all fit into this matrix. I'm just talking about this one part. But so if you can take a big picture look at like, oh, this is what I want to happen in five years and four years. These are life achievements and goals and my path, basically. And you can slice it up. A, you can tell whether or not it's realistic. And B, you just know what you're aiming for. And I think that is a pretty huge part of the process. I talk about it on the show all the time. Part of the fun of filmmaking for me is putting a plan into action and executing it. And so for me personally, just just hoping to make as much money as I can is just a lot harder to execute on than having personal goals. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, maybe money is, is a little bit too specific of a goal, but like our friend Roxy has been on the podcast many times that says, it's hard to reach your goals without knowing what your goals are. Mm-hmm. And it gets easier to reach your goals if you tell people what your goals are. Yeah, sure, sure, for sure. And like like uh, making movies or writing movies are, are easy examples, right? You know, if it's 100 pages to a first draft and I want to do it in three months, then I know how many pages I need to write. And like if I come in at two pages one day, I need to make up the difference on the next. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, it's been helpful and it's felt really good. And also it reminds you of how much you need to get done when you're feeling ambitious, you know? And so those days when you're not 
feeling great, you know, you can just put in the numbers and, and call it a day, you know? Yeah. Totally. Uh, Oren. Yes. What have you been working on lately? I have been, so, you know, they, they kind of say like as a, as a freelancer, I think this applies to all freelancers, but obviously we're filmmaking freelancers. You kind of have this dream that the longer you're in this business, the better you'll get at saying no to jobs, mm-hmm. you know, especially if a job's like not that interesting to you or doesn't pay that well, or isn't at a great location or whatever it is. And you kind of think like, well, the longer I do this, the more I'll be turning down jobs mm-hmm. and, instead of like hunting for jobs, you know? And I'm here to say from my experience, <laughs> it's definitely not true. Like right now I'm pitching on like five jobs and they're all these tiny jobs that I'm not that interested in that I wish I could be like, sorry, not going to pitch on this because I've got this awesome thing going on, mm-hmm. but I don't. And it's just, it's just so cyclical. It just reminds me how this industry ebbs and flows and you can have these highs and you have these lows. So yeah, I'm pitching on all this stuff. It's, you know, end of November. A lot of it shoots in December. Mm-hmm. Seems like people are like spending like a few hundred grand here or there mm-hmm. to finish off some budgets or make some social media bullcrap videos. <laughs> I don't know. Anyhow, so yeah, I've been doing that. I'm still working on my scripted podcast. We're doing another draft of the pilot, mm-hmm. you know, watching a lot of YA shows i just started watching this show sex education on netflix oh it's great yeah Yeah, really enjoying it i think i maybe endorsed it um like mid-pandemic it's good yeah Yeah, it could be also i went to a a birthday party last night i I have friends of a certain oh oh, an adult's birthday party an adult's birthday party a karaoke Mm -hmm. party Mm -hmm. and a good friend of mine from way back in the day was there and we were talking about uh, the midlife crisis he's going through Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and he was like i'm just not interested in what I do uh-huh. Uh-huh. after 20 years or however long he's been doing it. I'm just like, I'm just bored, you know? And I just don't, I, and I don't know what, like, there's nothing, nothing for me to do. Mm-hmm. And I was explaining to him the cycle of like the filmmaker and, you know, we, you and I haven't talked about it for like a couple of years, I think, but we used to talk about it all the time where you get a project, you're super excited about it. You figure out a way to get it made. You make it, you post, you put it out into the world. You're trying to get people to watch it, marketing, all that stuff. And then you have to go back to, then you have to figure out what the next project is. And you go into this inspiration phase. Mm-hmm. And that was my pitch time. I was like, why don't you like just go to, well. spend yeah. two days on YouTube, just watching things that totally unrelated to what you do. Like watch tutorials, go to museums, you know, go on a trip, do like try, like do construction in your house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, try, try it. And I, it was funny cause I was reaching into deep into my memories as a person who was like trying to get inspired. Cause right now I'm a little bit more like on the defense of just constantly stressed out that I owe someone something. It kind of reminds me of when I was in college, like I was always behind on homework and studying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's my life now. I'm at any moment, I'm disappointing five or six people who are waiting on something for me. Anyhow. Enough about that. Let's talk about some filmmaking truths that we have learned 
and unlearned. Uh, right after we talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash JustShootAPod. Look, we've been doing this for 400 episodes. Give us a buck or two, please. So we can keep going. We did just uh, give Noah a raise. Yeah. So we need more patronage. You know, the show continues thanks to your support. Patreon.com slash JustShootAPod. Check it out. We appreciate it. That's all we got to say about that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What the heck have we learned over 400 episodes? Well, my first one is very much something that we've learned over these episodes. Mm-hmm. And I've actually just talked about this exact thing on two other podcasts, and I'm excited to talk about it on our podcast. Finally. This is something I've heard my entire career, and it is that everyone has their own path to making mm-hmm. it in this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that when you move to Hollywood, you try to schedule some meetings with someone that you met or you've uh, a friend of a friend or someone that you're trying to get advice from. And you're like, hey, what should I do? I want to be a director. I want to work in film. Yeah, they say you have to find your own path. And that's because they um, they know that it worked a certain way for them, right? You know, even Jim um, on our live show said, like, uh, when we asked about breaking in stories, he told his story, but he knew that it wouldn't be uh, entirely replicable um, because of the, his circumstances and all of that stuff. I've come to the conclusion that that's not true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is, you know, with everything that we talk about today, there it, it is and it isn't. But as a whole, I think of this as less true than it is true. Uh, I think people say that everyone has their own path because they're like, well, you know, I went to a party and I met this woman who recommended mm-hmm. that I talk to her sister who happened to work at the company that got me the internship. Right. That it, and it's lousy advice to be like, go to a party and meet the right person. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I gave a horrible example because that is, is usually 
it, that, that example it's actually pretty good advice go to a party is pretty good advice <laughs> yes actually. yeah but we we have noticed after interviewing so many filmmakers well what do you what do you think do you 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 agree with me i, I you, 100% agree with you. About I, this, fr- frankly this is the best piece of advice in the episode you could stop after this yeah so what happens is basically every single person that we've seen become successful has connected with other film people in the industry however they do it whether no it's even simpler it uh, in the macro every single person i'm just quoting you right every single person made something and showed it to someone else that is the path yes that's it just shoot it show it to people yeah that is the, the commonality yes and that plus perseverance right keep making keep showing mm-hmm. it's every yeah. single person the people that we talk to that uh are showrunners that are you know producer directors on major network television shows that have directed studio films uh that own their own companies that do documentary series for showtime they all did the exact same thing which is they made something and they showed it to people not one of them just like had it met someone at a party and was given a million dollars to direct something mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh they all every single one of them made something and showed it to someone and so while yes everyone has their own version of that i, I do think that like trying to work your way up in the ranks trying to meet the right people trying to schmooze trying to go to the right parties all that stuff is super valuable uh, but only in that it it gives you people to show the stuff you make to. And if you don't have that, you can put it on Instagram and you can put it on Facebook mm-hmm. or TikTok or whatever, whatever, wherever you connect with the most people or your local film festival. But in general, everyone's path is pretty similar. And my path was like that. I made YouTube videos mm-hmm. and I showed them to people until somebody let me direct a tiny web show for them and that i showed that to way more people than the network that made the web show who showed it to and that got me another web show and another web show and a job full-time directing at disney but it's only go. because i just kept making things and in between all those things i kept making more youtube videos mm-hmm. and showing them and during covid i made instagram videos with my kids and i put them online and Sometimes they led to work, but a lot of times they led to like, oh, hey, I remember that you are a director. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was cool. Let's talk about something. So anyhow, that's my thing. Everyone, everyone's path is pretty much the same. And so now you know what to do. (laughs) Just (laughs) go do it. Yeah. Um, uh, We've been repeating ourselves for 400 episodes. One other thing to add on this is it seems really hard to figure out what to make. And to show it to people, but it doesn't really matter. Just make stuff mm-hmm, <laughs> and show it to you. Copy a scene you like and show it to people. Like do whatever you're interested in at the time. And remember, this is just one thing you're making in the course of thousands of things that you'll make. So this next one, again, you know, I've kind of talked about this off offline, but I think we have a, a greater disparity. Disparity. Thank you. Um, on this one but so uh, it's two different sayings kind of in the same category one is uh, you have to direct a feature to be taken seriously 
in the feature world in the feature world and also people want to see that you can handle a budget and a crew or and i want you to go first because i have thoughts on this right and i think they kind of boil down to more or less the same thing right so the reason i really like this one is because you and i (laughs) have talked about features for a long time and i do think we fall on opposite sides of this a little bit uh I, I truly think that serious financiers that that understand what's how to sell things and how to make things that mm-hmm. they're interested in, like when they tell you that they don't want to work with you because you haven't made a feature before because they don't they haven't seen that you can handle a, a big budget or a big crew, I think that that is an excuse for them saying that they just aren't interested in your project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and my reasoning is that. A lot of people have made features and worked with big budgets and big crews. Uh, and those people are not getting to direct, you know, all these features uh, that that are, are using that excuse, you know, are, mm-hmm, aren't, mm-hmm. aren't getting their projects greenlit, aren't attaching these huge producers or huge actors. Um, yeah. And, and we know many examples of people whose first features have been pretty big and pretty successful off of a short mm-hmm. or... You know, we talk about Damien Chazelle and like the whiplash short. Basically, you see that short and you see him and you're like, absolutely, here's the money for the feature. Like there's no doubt in your mind that when something is, and I apologize for this word, that's kind of become annoying to me. But when something is undeniable, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you've made a hundred million dollar movie or not. Like you look at Gareth Edwards who made Monsters for no money by himself, was the DP and everything. And then off that movie, he got like Godzilla or whatever his next movie sure, was. I think it was Godzilla. And then Star yeah. Wars. Like, I mean, no one was like, so, oh, well, we don't know if you can work with a thousand person crew. Like, that does not matter. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I don't want to quibble about those two examples because I think maybe those, it would be easy to argue the counter actually on, in both of those instances. Like, why did Damien Chazelle have to shoot a short and Gareth Edwards did? have to shoot a feature in order to prove that he could do a studio feature but the point your initial point i think is 100 percent right well but all i'm saying is off the short he got the feature it's not that he had to do a hundred thousand sure. dollar feature sure. to get a bigger feature and I, gareth edwards didn't have to have a thousand person crew to get a thousand person crew again i think these are just these are two like anecdotal examples that i think it doesn't matter we agree is what i'm trying to say the bottom line is that these are two phrases that people use to to let you down easy, right? Like going in another direction. And it's rough because, and this is the reason I wanted to go second, I literally have I've heard these, like oh, like, oh, he hasn't done a feature yet, excuses from people in the last two months. Recently, yeah. I've heard this as I mean, an established director who's making things, right? And I've, the, heard, I've heard people say these as truths, like other filmmakers, like, yeah, well, no one's going to make my feature because I have never made a feature. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that, and that's maybe the big takeaway is if you internalize that, if you take that to be truth, then you're chasing something false instead of just going out and making your movie. I mean, I, you know, I've heard versions of this my whole career. And almost always from the same handful of executives. And then at a certain point, I was just like, oh, they just don't, 
dig what I do. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, and that the flip side, people who were excited about you, people who see your work and get it, connect with it, they're never asking for credentials. They're creating opportunities with you. You're off to the races, you're running. And so like the gift maybe is that like these excuses are an opportunity for you not to work with the person you shouldn't be working with or a, a company that you shouldn't be working with in the first place. That's the bottom line for sure. Yeah. That if, if it's the right fit and the right chemistry, that your resume isn't going to be what makes them decide. And I, and I do hear a lot of people, especially kind of younger filmmakers, think that it doesn't matter what the feature is. They just need to have a feature on their resume. And it actually does matter. And if you had an amazing Oscar winning short, that would be worth 10 times more than a super crappy feature. It'd be one times more, actually. It'd be plus one more because a crappy feature is worth zero. nothing. Um, yeah. And, and I think like to, to your previous examples that I was giving you a hard time about, that's and, and, not and to I say... And I can give you many sure. more similar examples. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's not to say that there aren't, even if you're established, it's still hard to get a feature made. And so sometimes you do need to convince people to show them, to make it undeniable, right? Like the, the reason that you shoot a short as a proof of concept is to connect the dots for people, for them to understand. And that's not about the resume. That's about getting people excited about your creative. And that can be a lookbook. That could be, you know, an audio play version. That could be a short. That could be a, a ripomatic. That could be your reel. There's all sorts of different ways to do that. Or that could be shooting a feature that you know you can hit out of the park on a budget in a creative way and doing it yourself, right? Like the whiplash had a proof of concept, you know, Godzilla had an incredible breakout indie feature. Like I was teasing you, those are both versions of how, how to be taken seriously. Right. But your point is exactly right. It's not, let's look up somebody's imdb it's like oh my god have you seen this short have you read the screenplay this is incredible this is our person in, in that plus the conversation your pitch sure. your personality sure. right and yeah, yeah. so something that i do think is true is let's say you've written you've written and sold all these big hollywood scripts but you've never directed even a short film i think it, it might be a little hard to go to an executive and say hey let me direct this next movie sure. uh, without them even seeing you direct a short, they, they just need to see you talk about shot and composition mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and I, performances. Know, and, and maybe sometimes I think they need to have seen a short. Actually, I can think of a handful of examples, even of people that we've talked to on the show where like they did need to prove it, but that's mm -hmm. not, that's not the same as making an indie feature ending up making an indie feature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I think I've, I've told the story before that I worked with David Benioff when he directed a short film. Because he had, you know, now he's known as the creator of Game of Thrones and very successful things. But at the time, he had just written all these big Hollywood movies, but he never directed anything. And he wanted to direct a movie. And Warner Brothers was like, well, you got to direct the short first. You got to yeah. be on set and say action before we give you, you know, $100 million. Also, he was writing very expensive movies. Sure, sure. So they're a big risk. But uh, anyhow, so, so that's it. I, I hope, I, I'm, I'd love to hear what people think about it because it, it is something that many people that you and I both know have said to me personally, like, yeah, I got it. I just got to get this feature under my belt. And then 
<laughs> this watch <laughs> out hollywood sure yeah yeah a director needs a vision yes so longtime listeners of the podcast will know that that word vision mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of like the word fiance. It's just like a word people don't like to say out loud. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel pretentious. Mm-hmm. I, I stopped doing the bit, but there was a long time where I would go, my vision um, <laughs> as like my my riff on being a, a pretentious, precocious, precious director. Right. I used to be work full time, you know, for this company window seat where we would make commercials. I was like in-house and they would be like, or can you just tell us what your vision is? And I'd be like, ah, don't call it my vision. I think it's a little more triggering for you than it is for me. Yeah. So, so, and, and I always thought like, look, I'm just the director. You know, someone has a script and actors bring your performance, production designers doing the art direction. Mm -hmm. There's cinematographer that's helping choose the lenses and figure out lighting. Like my vision, like, as if I'm some, you know, like auteur. And I think even on the podcast a few years ago, I talked about maybe like a Tarantino or a Wes Anderson or someone like that has a vision, but the, the journey people, directors mm-hmm. are a little bit more like, hey, we're a team. It's like you're more like the quarterback of your football team than mm-hmm. the, you know, all-knowing God. Sure, sure. Now, this is something that I've, my my point of view has changed on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still don't love the word vision, but I've come to realize over the last couple of years, even like really over the last year, like of course we always knew that as a filmmaker you should have a thing, a fil- a specialty, like something that you do that you love that people come to you for, you know. Um, but I just realized more and more that this like word. Are you confusing voice and vision? Well, so You're conflating them? No, no. I guess I'm saying they're they're similar. They're not, they're on similar mm-hmm. places. Yeah, but so we we all know you need a voice, but but having a vision, I've now kind of come to terms with is it, the to me a vision is like the combination of voice, uh-huh. understanding the goal for what you're making, whether uh-huh. it's a feature film, an episode of TV, or a commercial or a short film, understanding what you're making, what your voice is, and the ability to communicate and excite people mm-hmm. about that thing. So yeah. to me, like you as, a, as the director... Just, just to, I want to make sure that we're, we're on the same page here and that listeners are tracking it as well. The way I see it, voice is the umbrella term for everything that I have made uh, that has a cohesive idea behind it every like everything is a little meta and low. that's my kind of like your right? style yeah my, yeah right yeah and your vision is project specific yes so the my vision for the project is, is what i mean to say so if that's a pepsi commercial my vision for this pepsi commercial you know is filtered through my voice but is still a work for hire gig for instance yeah and so for a pepsi commercial just making things up mm-hmm. Like, met, let's say my vision for that is like, have I ever been felt like I'm just so tired and so out of it and just want to get in bed and not interact with the world and it's hot and muggy outside and I just drink something like it so cold and refreshing that it, it kind of gives me like a new mm-hmm. lease on life. 
that just gets me so excited. Like I want to capture that feeling in this commercial and we're going to have a black and white sunny day, you know, and these people are going to drink these Pepsis and they're going to become humongous and run across the landscape or whatever. And whatever it is, like whatever your idea is, it's just being able to talk about it in a way that gets people thinking and excited. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you're not choosing the camera and the lenses and the fabrics and the, the colors of this building, but you are saying the things to the production designer, to the, you know, costume stylist, mm -hmm. to the cinematographer that's getting them aligned with what you're doing and, and capturing this like exciting moment. And there, I think there's a term that we use a little bit on the show and I'm, I'm calling it now 2024, 2025, people are going to really start cringing, but, <laughs> but in, because we're not there yet, North star. Oh yeah. Overused the Siri. Yeah. It, it's, it's, but it, but I don't think it's jumped the shark yet, so to speak. Yeah. I yeah. think you can I, still, I don't mind it. You can still use it and it. you're not like, Oh boy. But so North star, right. It basically, What's the lens? What's the thing we can look to? What's the idea we can look to? The vision where yeah. we can calibrate, we can say that we have this idea, we have this shirt, we have this, this element. Does it match up to, does it follow the North Star or does it not? Is it in line with what we're aiming for? Is right. what, what you're talking about. And obviously we, yeah, North Star comes from, right, navigating towards sure. <laughs> this, yeah. this spot. Yeah, it's funny. I use North Star usually as a reference. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the North Star is like, it'll feel like a Tim and Eric sketch, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I feel like for more original kind of bespoke vo voice pieces, maybe I would use that less because he, my North Star maybe would be more of a feeling, uh, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, which I think is right. I, I think it's, that's what made me think of it in this conversation. Again, I think it boils down to there's a lot of ideas out there and the director's job is to sort the ideas that are in line with what you're trying to make and the ones that aren't. And it's not about good ideas or bad ideas. It's just what matches the vision for the project. Now I'm 100% sold on the vision and this idea that as a director... You need to come in and you need to communicate that vision to everyone else on your team. And that's what makes you a good director. I think this is just a vocabulary problem because I think that you always felt that way. And maybe I think that the evolution, honestly, is that you and I have both learned from our 400 guests, give or take, to be more forthright about it. That like initially when you're younger, you want to be a team player and then slowly you realize that your job is to help people understand what they need to be doing and to be excited for it and to be inspired by it. Um, and that that is a different version of being a team player. You're the leader of the team. Yeah. And you need to infect your mm -hmm. keys with your passion yeah. And, I, yeah. and ideas so that they can run with them. Yeah. And I, I think it does take, it does take a few years to go from the person that knows exactly every single thing they want and is just constantly disappointed with the people that aren't mm -hmm. executing it that Mind way. Readers. Yeah. Yeah. To the person that is like, 
realizes they're not in control of anything and just kind of gives up and is like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just they want a house and just make a house, you know? Yeah. Um, to the person that realizes it's all about that kernel of excitement and how you can pass that on. Mm-hmm. And we had Micah Fitzsermon Blue on the podcast a couple of years ago. He's a writer on Transparent and he wrote uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and he just he has a show on Netflix called um, Painkillers right now. But he said to us at the time, he, he had talked about how him and his writing partner Noah would like just rewrite scenes like a hundred times. You know, they'd be like, let's mm-hmm. rewrite the scene. Rewrite. And I, and I was so stressed out. I'm like, aren't, don't you get tired of just writing and writing? Don't you run out of things to say? And he said, no, like to us, every scene didn't really matter how you described it or what the character said. It just, you needed to capture an idea. This scene is about this thing and this feeling. And let's just write the best version of the scene to get this feeling across. And it really made me think I've reflected a lot about that one thing, which seems so obvious and simple. But just that it's all about that feeling that you want to convey and like the methods that you want to convey it, them, that feeling in that matters. So vision, I'm into it. I'm into the vision. You do need a vision. My vision. Yes. Okay, let's talk real quick about uh, getting work and having longevity in this career. There's a handful of things uh, that we'll lump together. Uh, The odds are against you is one of yours. Similarly, I remember very clearly one time in high school, someone telling me there's only one Steven Spielberg. And then ultimately maybe lumping it all in together. You have to have rich parents to be a director. It's kind of versions of reasons why, excuses why, you, listener, me, host, you, host, Oren, why we're not going to make it, right? This is uh, people projecting onto you of like what you Yeah, I remember hearing like a lot of people in show business say something to the effect of, if you're good at anything else, Mm -hmm. go Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah, yeah. That one I still I still buy actually, yeah yeah. Wait, or if you I, can stomach doing anything else, yeah. Maybe it's more that I mean I I'm I feel like I'm better at a lot sure, of things. There's lots of things. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. I'm probably a better engineer than a filmmaker, but I'd still rather be a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but I think the point of the the if you could do anything else is that it's hard, right? Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's nice to accumulate wealth and have work-life balance and all of the things that we complained about on the show take vacations and get health insurance sure sure send your kids to college all that stuff um we're gonna figure all that out there's only one steven spielberg the odds are against you or do you ever feel like there are too many directors i mean didn't nikki weiss say there are too many directors on the show to us yes a pair of directors who and, and an advocate for directors who loves them no less. Right. So I think when I think of the odds being against you, that comes from how many people are going for it versus how many people stick with it, right? Like how mm-hmm. many people from your graduating class at USC film school that wanted to be directors, what percentage of them are directors now? If you had to guess. Um, More than 10%? Are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm seriously curious. Like three. Three percent. 
three directors. Three directors. No, like no. There's it's more than that, but um, I can name them. I can name all of them. Yeah. Um. So what? Like out of a hundred, like less than ten are well. Okay. So in, so production is a uh, hundred kids, and then um, critical studies, which is what I was in, is like a couple hundred more. I can think of I can think of two that have not been on the show. So counting the two that I'm thinking of that weren't on the show, that's six. Seven, if you get me. If you had asked me how many of your my fellow classmates had become lawyers, doctors, I was an undergrad, like decided like made a career shift and are very successful in a totally different field now, the number's way, way higher. Right? Like to your point, I think it's the long game. Did you stick it out? Right. But if you really want to do this, by the time you're in this business for 10 years, for 20 years, the odds aren't as bad against you as you think they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's still challenging. It's still a tough business. It's fickle. The trends change every day. You're the most awesome director one year and nobody wants to work with you the next year. But I do think... And I've been reminded of this, like and the people that I'm competing in for commercials of a certain budget level and that certain category. Yeah, maybe there's. 800. 50? Oh, no, no, it's it's fewer than 800. <laughs> no, in, in the world. I mean, I'm usually competing against, you know, many times I'm competing against directors in Prague, in London, sure. in yeah, Brazil. Yeah. International. So. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, the people that do comedy, kind of action comedy, 30 second commercials that can write a treatment and interact with an agency and work with a budget and not have an ego, but still make something that's entertaining and funny and interesting. Yeah, it's not, you're not up against tens of thousands of people. You're up against a few hundred people. And that's why like a lot of people say, oh, if you knew Unreal Engine and how to work with the volume and do that, like I'd get you a hundred jobs because Sometimes there's even more jobs than there mm-hmm. are directors. Sure. Uh, if yeah. you're a real specialist at a certain, that can work at a certain level. So the percentage of people that make it, quote unquote, as filmmakers is incredibly low. It's not because the odds are against them. It's because they didn't stick it out and weren't willing to suffer enough. Which, which is where the, uh, you have to have rich parents to be a director idea comes from. And like, certainly it's true that having a financial safety net makes it a lot easier to suffer through the things you're describing, certainly. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of times we uh, endorse working in the business. Like, you know, a director like uh, Barry Jenkins, who made this movie Medicine for Melancholy that had some good, uh, you know, accolades as an indie film. And then he went into being a post supervisor until he made Moonlight, you know. Uh, I think Sam Esmail too, who made Mr. Robot and is now, you know, one of the top filmmakers in Hollywood, also went back and forth between kind of other crew jobs and filmmaking. Yes, you can either have rich periods or you can have other related skills um, and be willing to do those skills, you know, as you're working on your directing work. And uh, I know nearly as many kids who had rich parents who aren't directing um, as I do directors so there you go i guess what we're saying is you can make it <laughs> and and i and i do want to reiterate that obviously matt and I, you and i who knows what we know but we have talked to hundreds of directors <laughs> about how they made it and so I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of 
our view of this industry is uh, like a, a, by, via osmosis of the stories we've heard. It's not just what we've seen personally. I guess that's, that's all I have in terms of um, encouraging people <laughs> to still care about filmmaking, to, to pursue their passion. Filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. And directing, yes. And to just shoot it. Okay, so after 400 episodes, Matt, are you ready to do some endorsing? Unpaid endorsements. Oren, you're really going to roll your eyes at this one. Yeah. I'm going to start before you even say it. I know that I used to really be all about, like, mixing your media diet up and you have some junk food along with your greens and you know your, your some art films and some trash cinema and some reality tv and lately i've only been watching reality tv and this season of survivor is really good mm. when was the last time you watched survivor uh like 1999 yeah 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 95 um same same. My mom watched every single, I think she's watched every single episode. Um, and uh, the office that I'm working at, the writer's room, the post department, everybody loves Survivor. It, like, it is the closest thing we have to water cooler talk, is like talking about Survivor. And so I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. I got Paramount Plus. I was like, maybe we can start an office pool or whatever. The first few episodes are shaky, but then it's like there's awesome twists and turns and what's neat about it the reason i'm endorsing it besides it being the main thing that i'm watching is that if you know how competition reality shows are made or just reality shows in general the uh producing is quite transparent you can see every single thing they're doing because for the most part it's game driven and so they get to make up the rules as they go along i don't know how much is pre-planned versus how much is reactive to what's happening in the game. But it is incredible to see what the producers do to guarantee drama, plot twists, twists and turns every single day. It's great. It's really fun. Um, and kind of a treat to watch. Some This is, this is season 45, right? So they do more than one season a year. They really crank them out. And I guess this is like a new era. You probably aren't familiar with any of the new rules. There's like hidden idols where like they dig around and they find stuff. And there's like different clues where like people are all kind of conniving against each other. People are getting pulled off. They'll go on like a little boat trip and they'll have like secret alliances, all sorts of crazy stuff. It is like the most elaborate board game you've ever played in your life. But it's happening in real time with a bunch of starving people who were you know, still just eating rice and like trying to start fires and stuff. Um, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Um, Kaplan, what you got? Cool. Uh, I've got two things. One is a plug-in. Now, I know you and I talked to one of the, the people from Krodos about this, but I don't know if I've actually endorsed it on the podcast. It's called Place It. It's this plug-in from Soundly. And it's free. I think it's a VST plug-in, which means you can use it in any... DAW, like digital audio workstation mm -hmm. program, but uh, let's just say you can use it in Premiere and Resolve and Audition and, uh, and Pro Tools. And it is a tool 
that lets you place sound uh, in different places. So let's say you want to have somebody yelling from inside the club. You know, you can just put this plugin on it and you can, I think they have like a outside the club setting mm-hmm. preset. Mm-hmm. They have all these presets and it's just a really good way to like it. Like if you know anything about compositing, I think it's like feathering the edges, you know, you mm-hmm. take someone on a green screen and you want to put them on a, a different background. You want to kind of blend the edges of the foreground with the background. And this is pl- that's what place it does for audio. You record some Foley, you record some ADR, and you want it to feel like it actually was recorded in this warehouse or in this tiny room or whatever it is. Uh, you use this plugin and it's just really amazing at at making it easy to place in a sound effect into a scene. You use it in Premiere? I use it in Premiere, yeah. Cool. Awesome. It's just, um, you, you might have to Google like how to install it because I think at least you and I probably don't install a lot of audio plugins mm-hmm. into Premiere, yeah. but it's a, a VST plugin and there's there's some folder you put it in or something. But place it for Soundly, it's free. The other thing is actually an Instagram video I saw today from this guy. His handle is OMG Adrian. He's like some sort of influencer. He's got like 320,000 followers. He's, I think he made like a Lil Nas X music video. He's a director filmmaker, but he's more of like a filmmaking influencer, I would say. Mm-hmm. He makes really cool travel videos and cooking videos, but most of his videos that have a lot of views are videos about how he makes his videos. Uh, and they're all really short. You know, they're Instagram videos. They're all vertical. But he put out a video It's called Attention Hacking 101. He talks about how he chooses the music for his vlogs before mm-hmm. he records the vlog and as and he listens to it as he's writing the script and then when he goes to record himself talking he plays it back for himself for like a few beats and then he stops it and then he starts talking and he claims that by speaking in the same cadence as the music it mm-hmm. makes his videos more engaging and i don't know if it's true or not but i think it's like an interesting theory and aside from music videos, I've never really done that. I've never like mm-hmm. said, okay, ready here. This is the beat. Now let's do the dialogue, you know, to a non-musical, non-lyrical, non-music video type thing. I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting thing. His name was OMG Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N on Instagram. And this video he made is Attention Hacking 101. And I don't know. I'm curious what our listeners think. Email us at justshootapod at gmail.com if you think talking to the beat can subliminally make your videos more engaging we'd love to hear what you endorse we'd love to hear if this podcast has meant anything to you over 400 episodes eight and a half years and also just like hit us up you know tell us what's going on with you ask us questions the odds might be in your favor for us to respond please reach out to us just at gmail.com or you can hit us up across all social media we're at just pod. I'm at O. Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode is edited and produced by Noah Bayshore. Additional producing by Tyler Small. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.